Welcome to today's Bible study with Pastor Josh Tice. The next time you're in Las Vegas, we'd love to meet you in person at Southern Hills. If you happen to watch us regularly, please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel and consider sharing this video with a friend. You can support the ministries of Southern Hills by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab. Now, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn how the Bible is relevant in your life today. I am glad you're here today. We're going to have a great time in the study of the Word of God, but i got to begin by saying my kids don't trust me. <laughs> they don't trust me. Um, and it's happened since their early days. My oldest child is almost 19. He doesn't, they don't trust, I tell them things, and then the things that I tell them, they've got to check, you know, they've got to double check to see if it's true, right? They got to look it up on Wikipedia to see if dad knows what he, dad knows what he's talking about. Give me an amen, dad. I know what I'm talking about. You don't have to check up on me. And if you're a parent in the room, you understand exactly what I'm talking about because you have been in the same scenario I've been in. You've tried to introduce something to your children and say, try this, and then they look at you like you're, in, you're, like you're insane, like you don't know what you're talking about. How many of you have tried to introduce a food to your children, and you're like, you're going to love this. Like, try, try, how many of you know what I'm talking about? And they don't, they don't want anything to do with it. It starts from the earliest age. They're like, you know, what, like 12 months, and you start feeding them things other than, you know, milk, and, and they try, and, and they don't trust you. And you're like, trust me. They don't listen. This happens with food. It happens with, with rides, right? You take them to like Disneyland or something. You're like, get on the ride, get on the ride, get on the ride. Get on the ride, I paid for this, right? And you're like, <laughs> trust, trust that I know what I'm talking about. Or like, oh man, this is the best movie ever. You gotta watch it. It's called Rocky and the guy. And they watch it and they're like, this is so old, you know? Trust me, I know what I'm talking about. All you do is watch YouTube all day long. That's not even real content. Watch this movie. And so our children don't trust us because they don't think we know what we're talking about. I was 14 when I heard of an opportunity of spending the summer away from Las Vegas. And when you grow up in Las Vegas, for those who did not grow up in Las Vegas, spending the summer away from Las Vegas sounds like paradise. And uh, I was 14. I thought, man, here's the moment I'm going to spend. And I was going to go to Flagstaff, Arizona and work at a Christian camp retreat. And my opportunity was a great opportunity. I was going to wash dishes all summer long. That's how I earned my room and keep. All summer, gone, 14 to 15. Some of you are thinking, I have a 14-year-old. Can I send them to Flagstaff? Come talk to me, all right? And so that's what I did. I went away, and I've got to tell you, it was a great experience in so many ways. I spiritually grew up in a lot of ways. I was uh, I physically grew and, and, and uh, emotionally and socially grew up in a lot of ways. I was able to add responsibility into my life, show up to work on time where you get into trouble. It was a lot of really good things. I was able to walk with God for the first time in my life. Like actually me by myself, not with my parents telling me, open the Bible and read and pray and talk to God. It was really good for me at the age of 14. So when my son turned 14, now some five years ago, I thought to myself, what a great opportunity because when I was 14, I took this opportunity. Therefore, you should do exactly what I did as a child. You should do exactly what I did as a child. Any parent ever make this mistake before? 
You should do exactly what I did as a child. And if you experienced a good childhood, it's not unnatural for us to take the good parts of our childhood and try to duplicate them, replicate them for our children. Want them to experience the good things we experienced. And so I sat down with my son. I said, son, I've got a great opportunity for you. Summer's coming up. Yeah. And I said, instead of spending the summer, you know, wasting it away, playing video games, suddenly he didn't look so happy. <laughs> I said, I'm thinking about sending you away for the whole summer to work in a kitchen, washing dishes at a camp. <laughs> and he said, I'll consider it. Now, here's what he did not understand at the age of 14. He's 14. And when his father gives a good suggestion, it's not a suggestion. This is a command from on high. The king has spoken. He's got to go to camp. It's just whether or not I can talk him into enjoying the idea. And so a few months later, it was time, and he loaded up and went out to Camp Ironwood, and he spent the next, well, they do a half-summer program, five weeks working in the kitchen, making Kool-Aid and cleaning dishes and mopping floors. And I have to tell you the end of that story at the end of the sermon. If you're a parent, you understand inherently what it's like to look at your children and say, trust me, I know what I'm talking about. Like, I don't know everything, I've made a lot of mistakes, but of the things I do know, I want you to have joy and happiness. I want you to experience a fulfilled life. I really want the best for you, and because I want the best for you, I'm gonna tell you, you ought do this. But it's amazing how there is a lack of trust in our hearts toward not only our parents, but a lack of trust in our hearts toward, toward God. And as I think about the way my children don't trust me, I think, is it true that sometimes I don't trust God? And I think about how my children, my words to them don't seem to hold weight. I wonder, do the words from God hold weight in my heart? Do I value when God speaks to me? You see, the main point of today's sermon is obedience to God's word is always the right decision. Obedience to Jesus Christ is always the right decision. And maybe right now you're faced with a decision in life and you're like, I'm not sure if I should make this professional decision or this relationship decision or this vocational decision or this location decision. And you're like, I'm just not sure if I should make this financial decision. And you're thinking, how in the world would I know? Could it be possible that God is trying to get through to you? He's trying to speak to you. And the way he speaks to you is through his word. The problem is sometimes we don't trust that he knows what he's talking about. And our heavenly father goes ignored like so many fathers do today. So when should I obey the word of God, pastor? Well, the simple answer to that is always. But in this passage that we're going to look at, Luke chapter 8, verses 19 through 21, in this passage, we're going to see three specific ways and three specific times in which you should definitely obey the word of God if given the chance. If you're ready to hear those three, give me an amen. amen. 
When should I obey the word of God? Number one, number one, even when your friends and family think you're crazy. Number one, when should I obey the word of God? Even when your friends and family think you're crazy to do so. Can I just stop and say this? If you are a true Christian who is going to truly obey the Bible, you're going to have friends and family who do not think you're doing the right thing. And that's what happened to Jesus himself in Luke chapter 8. Look at what it says in verse 19. And then his mother, that's Jesus, and then his mother and his brothers came to him and could not approach him because of the crowd. Well, if it looks to you like we're breaking in the middle of the story, it's because we are. For those who are new to church, we're at the last sermon in a three-week sermon series that's taking place from Luke chapter 8 all the way to the middle of the chapter. And it's all about the word of God. At the beginning of the story, if you remember, Jesus has a huge crowd in front of him, much larger than the one you see here today. And as he's talking to them, he begins by giving a story about a farmer who throws seed into the field and how the seeds fall in different ways. And his basic point with that story was to say, you and I need to hear and receive the word of God in our heart. Then he says in his next story, well, you as Christians are like lights that should be on a candlestick, not hid under a bushel. You should not only hear the word, but you should shine the word. You should share the word. And the third thought that we receive in Luke chapter 8 about the word of God is in verses 19 and 20. When Jesus is talking to the big crowd, suddenly he's interrupted, and somebody comes up to Jesus and says to them, look at verse 20, and it was told Jesus by some, they came to Jesus and said, your mother and your brothers are outside. You see, it was so crowded. And his mother and brothers. By the way, this tells us that, that Mary and Joseph actually had more children. It wasn't just Jesus. Jesus was not an only child. How many of you are an only child here today? Raise your hand. Only children? Raise your hand real high. How many only children? Okay, good. Jesus was not an only child. He wasn't spoiled like you. He had others. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. That's one group of people you should not joke with. I'm just joking. All right. Jesus had other brothers and sisters, and the Bible tells us about them. Well, you know what's interesting? In John chapter 7, it says that Jesus' own brothers did not believe in him. They didn't believe in him. I mean, that makes sense. Again, how many of you have a brother? Anybody have a brother? Raise your hand. If your brother came to you and said, I'm the Messiah. <laughs> I'm here to save your soul from hell forever. Right? And then he goes and walks on water. How many of you <laughs> would be like, you know what? Maybe you're just crazy. Maybe you're insane, and that's why none of us like you. That's what you would think. If your brother tried, and that's what happened with Jesus' brothers. Jesus' brothers, according to John chapter 7, did not believe. In fact, according to Mark chapter 3 and verse 4, his own family, his own people, his own family actually thought he was crazy. He was given a speech at one point where in Nazareth, a lot of people had gathered around, and everybody was hearing about it, and this word came to Jesus' family. They heard that Jesus was doing this. They go to grab Jesus and take him home because, quote-unquote, they thought he was out of his mind. Not only were they not believers, they thought he was, he was crazy. Could, could it be possible that if you follow Jesus, and as you hear his word and you obey his word, you might have family and friends who just don't understand what you understand yet. They might think, you're, you're, 
Like, you're, you're crazy. Like, why do you do the things you do? I mean, suddenly you're setting up boundaries that they never set up before. Right? As a, as a follower of Jesus, we have certain boundaries. Not that we're given, but that we set up for ourselves. For our own spiritual well-being. I mean, there's certain things that maybe your family and friends, certain places they might go that you're like, you know what, I'm just not going to go there. And they think you're crazy. Or certain things that they'll do that you're just like, yeah, that's just not me. You're not going to judge them. You're just, that's, that's not what I'm going to do. Or maybe there's certain people you used to allow in your life, but you've set up boundaries because you know those people are really bad for your spiritual well-being. And so you've separated yourself from those people. And you've set up boundaries. And you've got friends and family who are watching you, and they're like, what is wrong with you? Suddenly you're so spiritual. Suddenly you're so stuck up. Suddenly you just think you're some kind of a holy roller. And that's not it at all. It's simply that they don't understand that as a follower of Jesus, you're not just a hearer of the word of God, you're a doer. And you started setting up these boundaries. I mean, you invest in things that they would never invest in. You invest in eternal things. They can only see the temporal things. This is why you not only save for retirement, which is important, you also save for the eternal kingdom. This is why you've come in and you're like, yeah, I tithe and I give and the new building project, I'm giving to that. And if you told some of your family, they'd be like, you're crazy. Why do they think you're crazy? Because you think differently than they think because they may be a hearer of the word, but they're not a doer of the word. Your children matter to you. And that's why you intentionally don't allow certain things to come into your home. Rest is important to you. You follow the Sabbath, meaning there is a day in your life where you just set it aside and say, no, I'm not gonna work. And some of you have business partners who don't understand, people you work with who don't understand this. They just don't. And you're like, no, on Sundays I go to church and I spend time with my family and I take a nap and I rest. And they say, why, I don't get it, why do you do that? They don't understand, they think you're crazy, why? Because they don't obey the word of God, you do. And it is unrighteous, I'm telling you, it's unfair for we who are true followers of Christ to expect them to do what we do or even understand what we do. There is going to be an understanding, like man, they're just, they're just crazy. To them, it's an obvious solution to your problem, right? You're in love, you don't have a place to live, she doesn't have a place to live, it's an obvious solution. You shack up and you start pretending you're married even though you're not married. To them, it's an obvious solution, but to you, you're like, I don't know, we're Christians. The Bible says that that sin, before you get married, we need to commit to one another, and then we have sexual relations in marriage, not outside of marriage. And the rest of the world's like, that's nuts! But here's the reason why they think it's crazy. It's because they may have heard the word of God, but they're not doers like you. Like you. You get in trouble and there's an unwanted pregnancy or an unplanned pregnancy and the world tells you there's an obvious solution. You just, you know, eliminate the pregnancy. That's all you have to do, just terminate the pregnancy. But for you as a Christian, you're like, I, I, can't, I can't do that. And they're like, you're crazy. You're, you're limiting your whole life and your future. And you're like, no, you don't understand. I just, I don't think the way you think. I'm not trying to be better. I'm just saying, I, I'm a follower of Jesus now, you see? And that's what Jesus was experiencing here in verse number 19. He's teaching this large crowd and suddenly his mother and his brothers come to him and they could not approach him because of the crowd. And when it was told to them, some of them came and told Jesus and said, your mother and your brothers are standing outside. They want to see you. Now you would think 
the Virgin Mary has shown up to Jesus' teaching. And you'd be like, okay, the Virgin Mary, your mama, mama's here. Ma, your, your mother is outside and your brothers. You would think Jesus would be like, excuse me, everybody, mama is here. <laughs> you know, the Virgin Mary. But he doesn't. This is crazy. A lot of Christians don't know about this Bible passage. Look at what he says. But he answered and said unto them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. He said, you want to know about my mom and my brothers? That's my mom. These are my brothers. I don't know them. It's not so hard to understand if you've been a Christian for a couple years and your family and friends were not Christian, right? They're not following Christ. And, and the longer you're around the people of God, the closer you get to the people of God in your small group and in your church. And you're like, I feel like they're family. And those are the people I grew up with. It, it's why you have this sense if you have young children that if you were to die and you were like, okay, where would I leave these kids? You're like, there's no way I would leave them with my brother. There's no way I would leave them with my family. Why? Because to you, one of the most important things in life is to raise them in church and to teach them the Bible and to tell them about Jesus. And that's so far from your family's perspective. And that's why you're like, well, my family's here. Who, who would I ask to be with my family, my children, if I were gone? Do you see? And so one of the things we see is that it is absolutely essential that we not only hear the word of God, we do the word of God, we obey even when outsiders, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors think you're crazy to do so. Now, therefore, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 says, you are therefore members of the household of God. My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word and do it. Say, okay, Pastor Josh, when do I need to have a decision in my mind to obey God's word no matter what? Okay, hear it, hear it. Even when the people that you love think you're crazy to obey, just obey Christ. Here's number two. Number one, you ought to obey when? When friends think you're crazy. Number two, you ought to obey when? When doing isn't easy. When doing isn't easy. Obey when doing isn't easy. That's a tough thing to say, so I want you to say it with me. Obey when doing isn't easy. Say it again. Obey when doing isn't easy. Say it one more time. Obey when doing isn't easy. It's not always easy to obey. It's always easy to hear the word of God. It's not always easy to do the word of God. That's why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him unto a wise man who built his house upon a rock. Mark, do you understand? Jesus doesn't promise life stability to those who hear the word of God. He offers life stability to those who hear and do the word of God. But it is so much easier to just hear it and not do it, isn't it? Anybody like, um, does anybody here like to watch like the Food Network or some kind of a chef show or some kind of a like learning how to cook type? How many of you like something like that? Raise your hand. How many of you like that? You have people like that? Okay, some of you do. Yeah, a lot of you do. Who's your favorite? Who's bold enough to shout out who their favorite celebrity chef is? Who's your favorite celebrity chef? 
What's that? Guy Fieri. Guy Fieri. Mark likes Guy Fieri. That doesn't shock me at all. You like his hair, don't you? Yeah. His hair is awesome. Guy Fieri, diners, drive-ins, and dives. Very good. Somebody else. Who's, your, who's a favorite? Uh, yeah, who? who? Somebody's going to yell here. Donald, what? What's that? Gordon Ramsay. I love Gordon Ramsay. Man, he's got a filthy mouth, but that man is awesome, man. I've never met a British man who fits in Vegas so well. You know what I mean? Like, this is his real town, really. I love Gordon Ramsay. Who else? Somebody else. Who's your favorite? Yeah. Bobby Flay. You like Bobby Flay. These are all fantastic celebrities. You know, and a lot of us like to watch what they make, and it's amazing. I find myself, like, all the way back to the, like, the Julia Child day. How many of you remember Julia? Remember Julia? Okay, some of you old people are like, yeah, yes, Julia. And, and they're there making these dishes. You ever watch them make a dish and you're like sitting there and you're getting hungry? You know what I mean? You're like, oh, that looks so good. Oh, that's good. Oh, oh, that looks good. And you start getting hungry for what they're making and you go downstairs and you grab a bag of Doritos and you eat Doritos while they're making. You know what I mean? And you spend your time watching others make delicacies and hearing about cooking, but you never do it. You never do it. Do you know why? Because, man, it is so much easier to hear than to do, even though the reward is in the doing, not the hearing. My wife and I love travel uh, shows, like, you watch the food shows. We like the travel shows. And for years, we would watch a guy on PBS. His name was Rick Steves. Anybody ever heard of Rick Steves? Raise your hand. This is my favorite nerd in the world. He is, if you don't know who he is, look him up. He is, uh, he is an odd man. You've seen the show? He travels Europe, and, he, and we've watched that for years. Oh, yeah, you can hear it. But I'm, and he is, he's great. He'll walk you into a museum, and he'll show you different pieces to see. He'll walk you through downtown courts of different European towns. You're like, man, I'd love to go there. I have watched, this is not a kidding, not, no joke. I've probably watched every single one of his episodes at least three times. He's been doing it for a decade, more than that. You say, what do you do at night? I watch Rick Steves on PBS. I'm a nerd, right? This is, watched it for years. So when my wife and I took our kids to the UK and were in Edinburgh, in Scotland, we were seeing things that I had seen many times on TV. And we went and walked the Dingle Peninsula of Ireland. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing things that I'd seen multiple times on television. How sad would it be if I had spent my entire life only hearing about things and seeing things and never doing things? You know, your life was given to you for doing. Doing. In the same way, we as Christians, I see it all the time, not just in my life, but in your life too. We hear many sermons about giving, but we never tithe. We take classes on sharing our faith, evangelizing the lost, but we never invite people to church. We study about the battle of Armageddon and the coming of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church, but we don't long daily for Jesus to come back. Because hearing the word of God is easy, but doing it, it's tough to get up and make the meal. But the reward is in the doing. 
say, Pastor Josh, when, when, when should I obey the word of God? When it isn't easy to obey. I mean, if anybody understood this, it was the brothers of Jesus. I mean, even his own brothers, his own brothers didn't believe even though they heard the word of God. And that's why it's extremely fascinating when you arrive at the end of the New Testament, there's a book called James, and it has five chapters, and, and the writer of the book of James, you'll never guess, was actually, does anybody know who James was? Does anybody know? He was one of the brothers of Jesus, one of the guys who never believed, one of the guys who, in fact, thought Jesus was crazy. And it tells us in Acts chapter one and verse four that after the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the brothers of Jesus believed. Well, that makes sense, right? You see the guy die, and now he's alive. You'd be like, okay, maybe you're the son of God. You know, maybe this, maybe it's true. And James became a believer after the resurrection. And then he writes this. This is what's fascinating. In James chapter one and verse number, let's see if we go to the screen on this. James chapter one and verse number 22, it says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. James knows what it is. He's saying, I know what it's like to just listen. I know what it's like to be around the truth, but not do the truth. And James is saying, I get it. It's so easy to just hear the word of Jesus, but to do the word of Jesus is not easy. So he says, with authority and experience, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only, deceiving your own selves. He said, I spent years deceiving myself, thinking I was okay because I was in the vicinity of Jesus, but it wasn't until I believed and followed Jesus that it made any difference. He said, let me tell you what it's like. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word first, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and he goes his way immediately, forgetting what manner of man he was. James says, you, you want to know what I was like? I was like a guy who looks terrible, who walks up to a mirror, sees that he looks terrible, and thinks, you're doing pretty good, buddy. <laughs> and walks away and forgets how terrible he looks. Do you know what the word of God is supposed to be for us? It's supposed to be a mirror. And you're not here to just look into the mirror and see how bad you are. That's what a lot of church does, doesn't it? Let me just tell you how bad you are. Have a great week. We're supposed to see the word of God and see ourselves and not just hear it, but do something about it. You say, Pastor Josh, what can I do about it? Well, that's where the good news comes in. The good news is there's not much you can do, but there is something Christ can do. Amen. You see, you can't fix yourself on your own. You're too broken for that, and so am I. So Jesus Christ died upon the cross to pay for all of your sins. And he rose from the grave and offers you not only eternal life, but a new lease on life. And he wants to change you, mold you, make you into his image. Now, if you're here today saying, I don't want to be changed, then you can't be saved. This is not for you. But if you are here today, you're like, I need it. I see it. I'm not what I need to be. God, change me. Save me. You've looked in the mirror. You see who you are, and you're begging God to do something about it. And by faith, you're going to get on your knees, repent, and receive Christ as Savior. By faith, many of you who are already Christians are going to go about doing the things God has already called you to do. And when we obey, 
we see the third point of today's sermon. The first one, when do I need to obey? Man, you need to obey even when your friends and family think you're crazy, even when doing isn't easy. And number three, when do I need to obey? Number three, when you're ready for the impossible. When you are needing a miracle. I, I say that for this reason. Because as soon as we're done studying the three stories we just studied, Jesus talking about hearing and receiving the word, Jesus talking about hearing and sharing the word, Jesus talking about hearing and obeying the word, as soon as we're done in Luke chapter eight, do you know what the next three stories are about? It's about Jesus inviting his obedient disciples into his inner circle to demonstrate miracles that they'll never forget. Friend, can I tell you, some of you right now are on the precipice and you need a miracle. Not, to, not eventually, you need a miracle in the next 30 days, in the next 60 days, in the next 100 days. You've got to have somebody do something. You've got to have God do something. You're like, what do I do? Here's what you do. Obey God. When you don't just hear the word, but you do the word of God, it is the next step, it is the entry point, it is the moment in which God says, now I can do for you what you could never do for yourself. We're gonna see that, I can't wait, that's where the sermon series goes next week. Next week's sermon series is called Miracles. Just when you think it's the end of your story, that's when the miracle worker shows up. So I spoke with Jonathan just yesterday uh, about, about Ironwood, about camp, about the camp he worked at. I texted him, I'm like, hey man, did you arrive in college okay? He just drove all the way to Virginia. He's like, yeah, I got here, thank God, everything's good. I'm like, awesome, great. I'm like, hey, I have a question for you. I said, do you remember when you were 14 and I sent you to that camp for the whole summer? He's like, yeah. I said, what was that experience like? The good and the bad, what was that like? He replied, is this for a sermon illustration? <laughs> uh, I said, what was that like? He said, well, you know, and he had told me this before, at first when he got there, I, he went, and that first week was like torture. Like he had never had to have this kind of responsibility before. He was getting up at close to five o'clock in the morning, at 5.30 he had to be in the back of a truck, and they would put him in the back of a truck and they would go around with the new newbies and they would have to do what's called trash run, where they'd have to jump out of the truck, grab the big bags of trash, throw them in the back of the truck, go to the dumpster, load it all there. And it was exhausting. Your stuff spilling on you is gross, as bad. And he said, for that first week, he said, dad, it's like 5.30 in the morning, I'm riding the back of the truck and I'm like, why did my dad send me here? I hate him, you know. Yeah. I said, but you know, you decided to go back the next year. And you've recommended it to others and, and it's something that you love. What, what did you get most out of it? He, and this is what he wrote back to me and I don't wanna misquote him. He said, Dad, this is what Ironwood did for me. It gave me an increase of responsibility for the first time in my life. 
For the first time in my life, it wasn't my parents telling me what to do. I was responsible to others and I had to get things done in a certain way and it taught me responsibility at 14, 15 years old. He said, number two, better connections to Christian influences. You see, growing up as a pastor's kid, your only Christian influences like your dad and your mom and all the people around the church, whatever, deacons, and, and you're like, okay, out there he got to meet his own Christian influences that helped him say, wow, there are other believers in Jesus like my family in church. Number three, he said, I grew in my personal relationship with God more than ever before. He, he told me that's when he began to read the Bible and pray all by himself. It became real to him. I replied, I told you so. <laughs> I did I did not. I did not. I should have. I should have. I should have because I did and I was right. And this whole sermon is about me being right. <laughs> the difference between me as a father and our heavenly father is there have been a lot of times I've been wrong. And that's why it's hard for them to trust me. Try this guacamole, you're gonna love it. You're gonna love guacamole. No, they didn't, right? Your heavenly father is always right. And everything he has for you to do is always a good thing for you, for his glory and for your future. And so when you have a choice to obey him or disobey him, friend, I'm telling you, it's a no brainer. Even when others think you're crazy, even when doing isn't easy, and when you're ready to see the impossible happen, the only answer is hear and obey the word of God. Let's pray. Father in heaven, how much this sermon is for me, I needed to know it and hear it. And I pray, Father, that I would just not hear it, I would obey it. I pray for the same for my brothers and my sisters, my friends in this room and those watching online. I pray that all of us would not just be hearers of the word, but doers also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for watching Josh Tice's most recent Bible sermon. If you think of someone who may enjoy this one, go ahead and send it or post it today. If you're ever in Las Vegas on Sunday, we'd love for you to stop by Southern Hills and see us in person. If you benefit from this virtual ministry, we'd also like to encourage you to support our gospel efforts by sending a donation to the ministries of Southern Hills. You can do so by visiting southernhillslv.com and clicking the Give tab.